I think we need to just uh, reiterate a couple of things um, and try to be faithful to do so. That uh, one of the reasons why we all uh, worship together as a body of Christ is we believe that's the pattern of worship in the New Testament. <clears throat> that uh, that's the way the New Testament church met was uh, the older ones all the way to the down to the younger ones and everyone in between. There are a lot of reasons for that. And of course, God uh, doesn't have to give us a reason, but there are a lot of reasons for that, we believe. And one of them is, as you look at the pattern of Scripture, throughout the Scriptures, every time God got ready, even in the Old Testament, He assembled the, the uh, people together. In the Old Testament, of course, it was the Hebrew nation. To speak something to them, he, they were all there. You'd see the men, the women, and the boys and girls. If there were exceptions... It was when he got the leaders together, and it was the expectation that the leaders, i.e. the men, were to go back and share what uh, God had said with their families. And here's what we believe in God for and hoping for and are beginning to see happen. We don't have a, a Sunday school, and so we all meet together, and we're believing and hoping and praying. And, and Dad, you and I uh, are probably have to be the, we're going to have to be the primary me people who take the lead on this is to take things that we learn together on a Sunday morning or a text that we might be reading from and go back home and have conversations about it and sit around the table and say, you know, there's something that uh, I picked up on the passage in Philippians this morning I want to share with you. And Dad, you be the catalyst for that. And say, let me, let me share with you something that, that just stuck out to me. And uh, let that flow. Let that go where it's going. And here's, here's, the, here's the truth of the matter. This is the Word of God. From cover to cover, this is the Word of God. It's alive. And it's complete. You don't add to it. And you don't take away from it. And he spoke exactly what he intended to get to us. It's more than sufficient. And it's amazing that when the Apostle Paul was speaking to Timothy, his young protege of the faith, he said, Timothy, you've learned the Scriptures from since you were a child, from your mother and your grandmother. And he said, and they're able to make you wise unto salvation. Think about that. They're able to make you wise unto salvation. The greatest need that there is in humankind that satisfies all other needs is to be reconciled with God. And the way to be reconciled with God is exclusively through the gift of His precious Son. And we know that because of the Word of God. And that's what quickens the Spirit to believe. And God uses the Word to penetrate our hearts. And so if we're going to follow the biblical pattern of what God meant for it to take place in a family or no matter what your family looks like, uh, whether you're single again or, or empty nesters or, you know, whether you're, uh, you've got a, uh, several members of your family or one, two, whatever it might be, you're single or whatever. We gather together around the body, of, around the, the, the Word, and we begin to discuss it and share and kind of make it a lifestyle. It's not like, now, we do want to set apart time to do that. And if you're not doing that, I encourage you. See, and the reason I want to say this is so critical. Because we don't have a safety net for you at this church. You know, if, you, if you're not doing it, um, it won't get done. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's not because we don't want to provide one. I just don't think there's any biblical room for it. I think that that's what God intended us to do. And he didn't intend for it to be. There doesn't seem to be a plan B. And I think the, the plan is to say, let's share the Word of God together. And for those you're responsible for, if you don't reverence God's Word, please don't expect them to. They won't. 
They're going to follow our example. The biblical pattern of leadership, and this intimidates me as a pastor, and I know it does Pastor Dave. I was asking the Lord one time, and I looked through the Scripture to see what it means to be a pastor, and here's where I've concluded. This doesn't sound profound, but its implications are. This is what I've concluded. That what it means to be a pastor is you lead by example. That's what it boils down to. But you know, when is that not the case? And so I'm encouraging you. Have those conversations. Talk about what you're learning. Talk about how it's illustrated in the Bible using a character in the Bible to illustrate the truth you're learning. And then talk about how it applies to your life. And then live it. And this is the kind of faith that catches root. This is the kind of faith that God uses to spread deep spiritual roots. I just want to say this. I'm so thankful for every one of you. You are a delight to serve Jesus with. You really are. And you have hearts for the Lord. And you want to do right by yourselves. And you want to do right by the people that are in your care. And that should encourage all of us. And build us all up. If you see somebody where there's a weak spot, don't criticize them. Encourage them. And pray for them. That's what we're supposed to do. You know what we do a sorry job of in the body of Christ? We do a really sorry job of what we ought to be doing the best job of. And that's loving one another. And when you love other people, you don't take what you know to elevate yourself above them. You take what you know to lift them up and encourage them. The Bible says that love edifies and knowledge puffs up. And we want to love one another. And we want to see a weak spot in the, in the wall because we're all building a wall. And I'm, gonna come, I'm, I'm crafting a message right now about all of this, about the vision of this church. and we're getting, we're, it's, it's on paper now. I'm getting ready for it. And I encourage you to pray for me. And Pastor Dave, as we unveil that, we've already done it before, but we're going to do it again because we've got a bunch of new folks. And we've got a bunch of folks who are no longer with us. And so we need to encourage you. But one of the elements of that is, is that every family's got a piece of the wall in front of them. You know, we're responsible for building that piece of the wall. And there are times when some guy or some wife or father might be weary or weak and their wall might be the progress on their wall might be wavering and we're to be able to take the time to spot when that happens to go over there and help them out you know because we all have an interest we have an invested interest in this wall being built not to um, not to uh, not to glorify ourselves but to glorify him so I encourage you have these conversations and do it as a natural part of who you are I don't know of anything better to discuss than the Word of God. There's really not really much worth talking about other than that, really. I mean, I'm not being ugly, but it's really true. And plus, every conversation can be brought back to spiritual truth in the middle of it anyway. Y'all heard me say this before. I love to perform weddings. I hardly ever get to do it anymore. But we were in a larger church, and I used to get called upon to do weddings all the time. I love them. I really do. I'm a, I'm a pastor that just loves it. I love everything about it. I do. Because it's a, I'm just an old romantic guy. I like that. And I like the Jesus being in the center of all that. And when I do premarital counseling, I always tell the couple this. I say, listen, here's what the world tells you. The world tells you you've got a social life. You've got a career. You've got a uh, recreational life. You've got a uh, secular life. You've got, and they, they compartmentalizes your lives. You've got an education life if you're a student. You've got all these kind of lives. And here's what the world, the world has kind of cut an unwritten deal with us. And that is this. If you keep the religious part to yourself, we're okay with you. We're, we're good. Just don't let that bleed over into your career. Or don't let that bleed over into your 
social life or don't let that bleed over into your neighborhood because then we're going to run into a problem. The problem is, as the Bible says, that when we get saved, Jesus is our life. He's not a part of it. He's not even first. He's the center of it. He is my life. I don't have a life anymore. You and I are dead. And we're alive in Him. Amen? And so everything that I do, it is, it's, and you do as a believer, has got to involve Jesus. He's on us. I mean, He's in us. And we can't separate. The, we can't make the separation. We just say thanks, but no thanks. No deal. You know, no deal. i got to worship Him 24-7. Otherwise, when we come in here, we can do all of this we want to. And do all of this and raise hands and clamp hands. I love all that stuff. Listen, I'm telling you. I, I'd like to get slap happy. I do. I'm happy about being saved. We can do all of that, but if it's not followed by a 24-7 lifestyle, it's really not real. And so have those conversations and recognize that the only reason we don't have the Sunday school is not because we don't want to have it or not because we don't want to teach your children. It's that we, want to take, we don't want to take away in any measure your responsibility, delight, and joy over you doing it. Because nobody will get it. They'll never get it from anybody like they will from mom and dad. And so here's what I'll give you, this, this, this outline before we get started. I didn't intend to share all of this, but here's what I'll just say to you right quick. Like, when you study the Bible and when you teach the Bible, have these three, thing, these three things in mind. You want to write these down. These three things. If you've got a responsibility, if you're a father now and here, you have a responsibility especially. If you're discipling somebody, can I say this to you parenthetically? Whatever that word means, but it just sounds good. Can I say this to you? I'd like to know that the rest of my life, I mean this now, I'd like to know that the rest of my life, that I had a Paul in my life and I had a Timothy. Now I've got four little Timothys running around. I know that. But I'd like to know that I had a Paul in my life and a Timothy. You know what I mean by that? I'd like to know that I had somebody maybe who's been to places spiritually I've never been before and has walked with God longer than I have. My Paul right now is in heaven. And he left me some stuff behind that I still listen to and all. That's my grandfather. He's in heaven right now. But that was my Paul if I had to identify a Paul. And others have come and gone. But also I'd like to have some Timothy. Since people I can come along beside and share with them things that God has shown me. Not just about the things I've done right. But more importantly really sometimes about the things I've done wrong. You know, listen, don't do that. I've done that. didn't work, you know, or whatever. We can learn from both, can't we? We don't have to have a perfect track record to help. God can use our imperfections, so we all have them, to help somebody. But when you're studying the Bible and you're teaching the Bible, here's the three things. Look for its revelation. Look for what it reveals. Just look for what it reveals. Study it. Study the text and say, what does this reveal about Jesus? What does this reveal about the Christian faith? What does this reveal about who God is? His plan and purpose in redemption, because that's what the Bible's all about. What does this reveal? What does the text reveal? Second thing, look for how it's illustrated in the Bible. I'll give you an example. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21. From there until Romans 5.11, the doctrine of justification is spelled out in the book of Romans. The doctrine of justification is the most important doctrine in the Bible because it's about what Jesus accomplished through His Son in His death, burial, and resurrection. 
And the Apostle Paul follows this pattern I'm giving you right now to explain the most pinnacle doctrine in all of the Bible. So if he's using that as a technique to explain such a doctrine as justification, justification is not an, insufficient, an insignificant doctrine. Justification is everything. That's what the blood atonement is all about. And he uses this pattern to teach us in Romans that doctrine. Revelation, what it reveals. Then he uses the entire chapter of Romans chapter 4. And that's the next one, an illustration. Illustration. So revelation is your first word. Next word is illustration. Look for how the truth is illustrated in characters throughout the Bible. Now this is really helpful with your children. Let me tell you why. You can take what's revealed in the New Testament and then you can look into the Old Testament and see how it's lived out. And you can take a character and you can find one. They're all there. You take multiple characters. Paul's character of choice through the leadership of the Holy Spirit was Abraham. So the entire chapter of 4, of Romans chapter 4, is about Abraham and how Abraham's life proves, that his life proves that justification is by faith alone. So he shows what the doctrine is, he revealed the doctrine, then he shows how it's illustrated, and then he moves on in chapter 5 verse 1 through verse 11 to show how it applies. So there's your third word. First word, revelation. Second word, illustration. Third word, application. Truth is no good unless it's lived out. And so what you could do is you could take something you've learned in the Bible. You could do it today. And let's take something we learn in Scripture. Find a character. It doesn't have to be the Old Testament. It can be New Testament. But the Old Testament is just full of them. Living examples. See how it's illustrated over there. And then examine how does this apply to my life. And look for examples even in your neighborhood. we got things going on with our neighbors all the time that we can use to apply truth that we're learning. How does, what does this mean tomorrow? What does this mean tomorrow morning when I go out in the cul-de-sac and I'm interacting? What does this mean? So it's revelation, illustration, application. Revelation, illustration, application. Revelation, illustration, application. If you keep those in your mind while you're studying the Bible and learn it yourself that way and then impart that to those under your care, I'm telling you right now it's going to make a supernatural difference. It's going to take some time, but I can hear you, I can tell you this. You may tell you what part of this season of time is about right now. Part of this season of time right now is about God turning the father, hearts of the fathers toward their children. Because the John the Baptist showed up on the scene and said, God said, I'm going to use him to turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children. In order to what? Make a people ready for my appearing. And so that's part of what God's doing. And so, men, we're in this together. I'm not just speaking to the men, but you're the leader, and so am I. And we need help. But I'm going to tell you this. Don't be intimidated by it. Because God would never give you a charge or a commission or responsibility without equipping you to do it. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He just does. And so if you'll trust Him in that, and say, Lord, I don't know. I'm not a biblical scholar. Neither am I. But I know one thing. This is really true. And you can mark this down in almost anything we do in life. And you know this is true. If something's important to us, we're going to find a way to do it. <coughs> is that not true? If something's really a priority in your and my life, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. We're going to find a way to do it. <coughs> 
And I just want to encourage you. Because, see, think about this. Jesus said, sanctify them. That's just a big religious word for me. And set them apart. Make them unique by my truth. By, I, I'm going to set them apart by what? What sets us apart? You remember what he said it was? Sanctify them by the truth. What we believe sets us apart from everybody around us. And what's the one thing that unites us? What unites us? We come from different backgrounds and different experiences. We come from different regions of the country. Michael Lookadot is from Ohio. He speaks English a lot better than I do. I'm from South Georgia. I probably need an interpreter. So maybe Michael needs to stand here beside me and say, let me tell you what that says in English. But we all come from different perspectives and different backgrounds and all that. But you know what we're united by? The spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father. And we all believe this book. I don't believe there's anybody in this church, not that I know of, that will take you to task on whether or not this is true. So much so, so much so that you and I have said that we're staking our eternity on it. That we believe that faith and trust in Jesus means that the very second that you die, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay? And I don't, I don't know of anybody in here who would take... So that's what unites us. We have different backgrounds, different education levels, different experiences, different this, different that, different perspectives. And all of those enrich us. But what winds up in the middle of the day, in the beginning of the day, and the end of the day that unites us is the truth that we believe proceeding from the spirit of truth through the Holy Spirit and that's this book. Amen? So it's incredibly important because your children and your families are being lied to at a rapid pace every day. Every day. And the only counter to that and the counter to that that will crush it is the same strategy Jesus employed when he was tempted by the devil. What did he say to him? It is written. It is written. It is written. And you look around and where he's gone. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How do you do it? Just say, it is written. But in order to say, it is written, you've got to know what has been written. And so that brings us to our text here this morning. And we'll just take a couple minutes in it. Uh, because we're going to have the Lord's Supper. But let's go to Philippians chapter 2, 14. I just want to say that as a word of encouragement to you. And just to say this, we're all in the same boat. We have the same number of hours. Amen? Nobody in here has any more hours than anybody else. we all got the same number. We're stewards over the same precious gifts that God's given us. Our wives, our families, our church body, and then beyond. The relationships that God puts in our lives. That's a stewardship. It was a stewardship to have Nancy's neighbors... And, and the parson's neighbors beside them, and God gave her an opportunity to fulfill that stewardship uh, Thursday. Praise God for that, Nancy. Thank you for that testimony. But that's a stewardship. And so we all got the same. Nobody has an edge. Nobody has more or less hours of the day. And you, we share the same struggles. And that's what I encourage you with. But you know what? If the enemy knows, and he does know, he can keep you busy enough to keep away from this book. He knows your hat. And when you get out there in the middle of the battle, and you're sitting there trying to load, it's too late to load then. That's not the time to put the shells in the, in the, in the, in the gun. It's when, the, when it starts flinging. And you're, you're trying to dodge bullets. And you've, got, and you've got a gun that's not loaded. The gun's loaded in the prayer closet. Time of devotion, Jesus. And time with your family, spending time in God's Word. And we purposely don't have another plan for that because I don't believe the New Testament does. But we want to encourage you in that. 
Know this. We're praying for you. Man by man. Woman by woman. Child by child. Name by name. Because nothing's more important than this. Amen. So let's read the word of God together. Would you stand with me in reverence of his word? Philippians chapter 2. We'll go to verse 14. Everybody wants us to get beyond verse 14. I don't blame us. I need to get beyond that too. I guess if we start practicing that, we'll get beyond it. Amen. That includes me. Let's read from God's Word. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. You know that everything that flows from the next few verses, this is a great, this is a great uh, uh, illustration, if you will, of what we just said about studying the Bible. Everything that flows from Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 and following flows from the truth that we learn about who Jesus Christ is in verses 2, 5 through 11. So everything in verse 2, 5 through 11 reveals something to us. The revelation is God became a man. Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, came down here, took upon human flesh, and so humbled himself the greatest act of humility that has ever been perpetrated by man or ever been perpetrated on the face of this earth was the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because he went as high as you can get, God, to as the poorest of poor, a man born to a humble family in the womb of the Virgin Mary, put there by the Holy Spirit. So nobody can humble themselves. He's already covered every act of humility. You can't outdo him. I can't outdo him. He said, okay, because God did that, now here's how I'm illustrating to you how you ought to live because of that. Okay? And you need to work out that which has been gifted in. We've already talked about that and gone on. Let me tell you how that's going to apply with your life. If you, illustrated by the, what our Lord did, or, or the truth about what our Lord did, if, if that is manifest in our lives, then we're going, to, we're going to work out that which has been gifted in, the spirit of humility and sacrifice that we find in what Jesus did. And let me tell you how that's going to apply. Let me tell you how that's going to apply. It's going to apply to your life in that you're not going to do things. You're going to do all things without complaining and, dis and disputing. You're going to become blameless and harmless, therefore, in the middle of this perverse generation that we li live in because you will stand out as being different. Because you hardly ever are around people who don't write and fuss and complain all the time. There are people who make millions of dollars every year on talk radio just by griping, fussing, and complaining. That's their job. To get on, could you imagine that they pay you $5 million a year to get on the radio for three hours a day and fuss and gripe and complain for three hours? And make millions off of it. And you know why they make millions off of it? Because people who gripe, fuss, and complain, listen to them. And they're like a mouthpiece. We want to say what they're saying. And they say it for us, but they're the ones that get paid for it. Something right about that. And say, okay, you'll stand out and, different, and you'll be different in the world and you'll hold fast the word of life. We've talked about that. 
We talked about the fact that Paul said, I will know that you're applying and the truth that has been given to you if I find out that you're holding forth the word of life. Now, we talked about the fact that that says hold fast the word of life, but really it's better translated holding forth the word of life. It's like a presentation. It's like, you know what? It's almost like the disciples when they looked up at the guy who was crippled and he looked up at them and he said, look at us. And I think the sense of what he was saying was, look at us. A ragtag bunch like us. I mean, I'm a fisherman. I look and smell and act and speak like a fisherman. I'm an educated, uneducated man. Look at us. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Oh man, there are neighbors that live beside you that need to know that. I can't come over here and resod your grass. Look at mine! My yard looks like the lunar surface. And I can't do anything about it. I don't know how to do anything about it. And moreover, I don't want to anymore. And now, but I can come over and say, Look at me. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's what it means to hold forth the word of life. It means to not to get in arguments or debates. The gospel is not a debate. The gospel is not a discussion even. The gospel is a declaration. There it is. Do with it whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do with it. But that's it right there. We don't wrangle. We don't contend except for the faith. But we just present it by the way it is. We hold it fast. And he said, you know what? That's how I'll know that my labor among you wasn't in vain. We went through that. Now in verse 17, I have studied this verse over and over and over and over and over again. Pondered it. Thought about it the whole time I was on the Appalachian Trail. Because I had a tendency to help me get my mind off what my feet felt like. And the Apostle Paul said, yes. If I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And for this same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. After placing a sacrificial animal on the altar, the priests would take wine or sometimes water or honey, and they would pour it on the burning sacrifice. And when they poured it on the burning sacrifice, it would, it would, it would vaporize on the sacrifice, and it would just float up into the heavens. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, the sacrifice has already been made. The drink offering is a sacrifice that goes on to a sacrifice. And see, the sacrifice has already been made. And that's Jesus. Amen? Can I say this to you? We're not going to get much further than this today. We've got to stop and take a break. I hate that because I can't get into this verse right now. But this is apparently the way the Lord wants us to go this morning. But have you ever been tempted? And I bet you've done this. I've probably done this for you. And what I mean by that is, I pray for these prayer requests, and I pray for your family members who are lost. And I know you carry a burden over them. And well, you should. Or maybe people who are close to you, or it might not be a relative, it could be a close friend, somebody that you know that you know has rejected the claims of Christ. And sometimes you're tempted to pray, Lord. And sometimes it's a hard prayer to get out of your mouth, because especially if they're close to you, and you say, Lord, would you do whatever it takes? Have you ever prayed that? Would you do whatever it takes to bring them to a place of repentance? 
But you do whatever it takes to get into the place where they repent toward you and put their faith in your son. I've done that before. And the Lord has used this verse to clarify something for me about that. Here's how we ought to pray about that. Lord, would you help them to become aware that you've already done what it took to redeem them? See, what's already been done is what redeems people. And that was through the cross of his blessed son. There's not anything yet to be done. There's not a plan or program on the prophetic timeline where Jesus is going to come back. Because see, the next time he comes back is not, is not for the, to, for the, uh, to, to purchase our salvation. The next time he comes back is wielding a sword as king of kings and lord of lords in judgment. It's over by then. And I would just encourage you. I know some of you are deeply burdened. And we're burdened along with you about people that you're praying for that they'd be saved. We need never pray. And it's hard for us to pray because sometimes we think about the things that, and the places people have to get before they wake up. For me, for me, it was my dad. He had stage four cancer. I'll admit it. I didn't know whether faith was in him or not. But it took saying, you know what? This is going to kill you before faith ever came out. I regret that. I hate that. But I'm glad it came out sooner or later. And so we pray those prayers and we're nervous and apprehensive about what that might mean for somebody. Let me just say this to you. That's under the sovereignty of God. Let's pray this. And the spirit of the prayer is correct. And I've prayed it. But let's not pray, Lord, do whatever it takes to save them. Let's pray, Lord, help them to come into an awareness that you've already done what it took to save them. You sacrificed your son. The tomb is empty. There's nothing yet to be done. It's already been done. And they just need to wake up and repent. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that and put faith in God's blessed Son. Amen. These are the things that we need to teach our children. The sufficiency of Christ. It's over. It's done. And the Apostle Paul said, My drink offering, me, I am being poured out like the drink offering is poured out on another sacrifice. What he's saying is, in my devotion to Jesus and the fact that he did become a man, I am willing to be spent so that you might know him. Now, my spending does not add to that sacrifice. My spending is because of that sacrifice. And if God's going to burn me up and ruin me so that you might benefit from me being ruined, in other words, losing my life for the gospel's sake, I'm willing to do it. And doesn't that pick up with the Lord's Supper? Let me tell you how it picks up with the Lord's Supper. It's one of the sweetest things I've ever, 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 ever seen in the Word of God. And we've talked about it before. And this will begin our time for the Lord's Supper, Pastor Dave. And he'll come and he'll give us instruction about the Lord's Supper in just a minute. We've talked about this time and again. I'm so proud of Jesus. There's probably more spiritual ways to say that than that. I'm proud of him. I think he's awesome. Don't you? And let me tell you something. One thing that I learned about him that I've shared with you many times before. But the Apostle Paul said, listen, if I'm going to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel, if I'm going to give up my morning to pray for you every day until you get saved, if I'm going to give up something, if I'm going to make some kind of sacrifice on because of the sacrifice that's already been made, rejoice with me over the privilege of doing it. But as I count it not as a sacrifice, I count it as joy. And this came from Jesus. And that is... That on the eve of his death, you know the story. The Bible says they gathered around in the upper room. And there he was having the Passover meal. And you talking about Passover. 
the real significance of that passed right over their heads. They didn't know what was going on, the disciples. You can see it in the narrative. And yet he's fixing to spill his blood on their, their behalf. And what does he do? The Bible says he has them sing a hymn. And you know what the hymn is? It's the Hallel. And it was sung at the Passover. At the end of the Passover, and it's Psalm 118. And Jesus sang and said, This is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. He was singing about his death. This is how you and I are to sing when we wrestle in prayer over somebody being saved. This is how you and I are to sing when we're called upon to forgive somebody when we'd like to just absolutely retaliate. This is how we and I are to sing when we're called upon to love and give sacrificially. We're to sing and rejoice over it because that's Jesus' disposition toward the cross. Amen.